Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. As you know, we get together here every week and discuss issues involved with and impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. Got a great show for you today. Got a special guest named Steve Cowan. Steve Cowan is a past client of mine. He is the Director of Sales for Crop Management Network in Camrose and Edberg, Alberta. That's right, Central Alberta. So we're going north. We're going to talk all things Canadian, all things Albertan, all things Albertan agriculture, because you probably don't know a lot about it. So that's why I'm here for you is to educate you, because I've had the pleasure and privilege of working up there in Canada a number of times. And in doing so, I have learned a lot. You probably, if you're an American, saying, what do they grow up there in Alberta? What happens in Alberta? What's the deal on agriculture up there? And that's why I've got my friend, Steve Cowan. He's going to talk all things Alberta agriculture. Call this Alberta Agriculture 101. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure and a privilege. Okay, a lot of my listeners are going to be Americans. Not all of them, because I have a lot of fans up in Canada, because I go sure. up there and do speaking engagements, and you obviously are a past client. I appreciate that. So the old knock that uh, the Canadians do, they say, yeah, you know, the, the Americans, they come across the border with their skis in their hand in July and think that it's, uh, you know, that we're up here just hanging out and skiing with polar bears. Not the truth. Nope. Tell me about your company and tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so Crop Management Network is the name of the company. Um, independent uh, crop input retail started as one location in a little town called Edberg. Alberta, which is, uh, you know, central Alberta, just about an hour and a bit south of Edmonton. Um, so we started in 2007 there as one location. Um, one guy working out of there basically out of a cube van in an ATCO trailer. Um, just, you know, servicing, kind of fit a need in the geography and just a need for service and scouting. And yeah, so I joined the company in 2012, so about five years in. Um, I was, there was kind of three or four of us at that point. Uh, and since then, we've now grown to about seven locations in central Alberta. Um, yeah, kind of servicing fertilizer, seed, uh, herbicides, fungicides, stuff like that. Yeah, so your crop retail, uh, you know, and all the stuff that you need for uh, grain farming, uh, you provide fertilizer, chemistry, seed, etc. cetera. Yeah. Uh, nothing on the animal side, right? No, nothing on the animal side, no. Okay, so that being said, let's talk then about what your customers do. Okay, just for the person that's not familiar with, uh, the person that's not familiar with Alberta, I'll give you a couple of quick and dirties. It's a massively big place, okay? That's mm -hmm. one thing that everybody needs to understand. It's a massively large place because Canada is a great big country. It's a great big, fairly sparse place. There are 4.3 million humans, 4 to 4.3 million humans that live in the uh, province of Alberta. The big industry is oil, gas, and agriculture. Edmonton's the capital. Here's what's really shocking, because uh, people that live in the United States, you know, we've got some big states, but your provinces are immensely big. 256,000 square miles, which means it's about seven times the size of my home state of Indiana, which is no slouch when it comes to agriculture. So you've got yeah, pretty big, huge place there. Uh, way up in the north part is not so much agriculture, but it goes further than one might think. So Steve, give us the lowdown on what happens in your part of the world. Yeah, so here in central Alberta, I mean, it's we're pretty fortunate with uh, you know high producing, pretty good land for the most part. Um, so yeah, our, I mean, and the number one crop grown in this area is going to be canola, um, canola and wheat, I should say. Uh, you know, lots of wheat grown, but canola is just really taken off. 
And canola makes more. I, I could make more money with canola than I can with wheat, correct? Yeah, yeah. Wheat at this point has kind of became a rotational crop for us. Uh, canola is kind of our cash crop. Canola is king. So, so canola and wheat. You know, there's there's a lot of guys that are just in a canola and wheat rotation. Um, we've got a lot of diseases coming in with with canola. Club root is a main one, and black leg are a couple of things that are that are you know making us kind of extend that rotation and and some people are doing that and some people aren't so canola wheat we grow barley um a lot of it's for feed barley but but lots is grown for malt barley especially in uh, kind of this area that we are this camrose edberg area is, is a good malt barley country and then and then there's some peas um grown that's more coming in as a rotational crop again as we need to extend our rotation with canola Okay, so let's say that I'm a, a soybean farmer in uh, in Arkansas. Uh, yeah. This is all new to me. Or let's say I'm a, a cranberry producer out in Massachusetts, or I'm a cotton guy in Texas. A lot of this stuff is very, very different. First off, we talked about peas and we talked about canola. Those are two things we don't do so much of here in the United sure. States of America. Now, like up in Montana, they do some of these things. Peas. Okay, we're not talking about green peas like coming a can from Del Monte. We're talking no. about what kind of peas? Yeah, so... So we would call them yellows and greens. So yellows are more more of a feed pea. Greens are an edible pea, but they'd you know be the a hard pea that would you know go into soups or something like that. A lot of them go you know over to India or China, and uh, and that's what they get used for. I mean, they're high protein, so they're a good protein source. But they'd go into to like soups and and stuff like that. So I, I've even heard that the Beyond Burger, I'm I'm thinking, has these peas in them because they need a protein source that they can work with. Is that accurate? I think yeah, peas and, and chickpeas as well, which is not grown so much in this part of Alberta, but as you get kind of to the drier areas to the southeast and then into into southwest Saskatchewan, there's okay, you know, quite so a bit we, of lentils we, peas so and stuff grown there. Chickpeas are garbanzo beans, and those go for human consumption. The yellows and the greens are also generally human consumption, right? The greens, the yellows can be, but more or less are, are just a, a feed, a protein source, you know, for hogs or what I mean, any any animal. But a lot of that will go into for hogs, I think. Okay, so we use you use that the way we might use soybean meal as a protein source in a livestock ration. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, canola. A neat yep. story about canola because a lot of people in the United States don't know it, and uh, I, I've obviously spoken up there, so I've learned canola uh, is rapeseed. And uh, some professors there at the University of Saskatchewan and uh, a college in Alberta in the 1970s started working with this, breeding it, working with it to make it a little better crop, and they decided, you know what, this is an amazing crop. It's an oil seed. Uh, this has got one problem. We can't sell rape. We can't sell a product called rape seed. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer are not going to react well to that. So they changed it to canola, which got its name because of Canadian oil. And that just happened in the 70s. By the 80s, they started hearing about it. And now it's the year 2019. And it's it's major for you guys. Fill me in on what I missed. Yeah, so major. So, um, yeah, I mean, started to, like you said, gain traction You know, in the 80s coming in at sometime in the late 90s uh, would have come out with with Roundup Ready Canola, which obviously was just a huge game changer to be able to, you know, control weeds and, and grow that crop. Um, so, I mean, that was really the start of the evolution. We got a, a Roundup Ready Canola. Then we got a, an Invigor, a Liberty Resistant Canola. 
Do the um, do the uh, people who are uh, the the wackos against GMOs and all that uh, does canola get that, or is it just somehow happen more down here with soybeans and and corn and Monsanto? Is it is, do you have the anti-GMO effect on the canola in Alberta? Yeah, we certainly do. I mean, it's such a global world now, right? So you go on Twitter and you see all this stuff, or, or any you know on the web anywhere, and you can see it all. So we do get that. Um, you know, it, it affects, you know, obviously with the European Union, they don't want GMOs and stuff like that over there. So it affects some of that trade stuff. But uh, I, I'm, I'm sure the pressure's still the same. It's still lots being grown. There is like, you know, clear field varieties are considered a non-GMO. So some people will grow that and sell it for a bit of a premium uh, as a non-GMO canola. Speaking of going on Twitter and speaking of canola, your uh, page on Twitter, your profile page, has a picture of canola. So if anybody wants to see what this is like, go ahead and check him out. His handle is at Agro Steve, at Agro Steve. His name is Stephen Cowan. Okay, so you're a dairy farm kid like me. Yep. You and I have some things in common. I mean, I'm a little better looking than you and clearly smarter, <laughs> but besides those things... <laughs> just those little things yeah <laughs> and i and i'm trying to make sure that uh I'm, I'm also grinding the american side you know because the canadians uh the canadians like to uh you know always be like their peaceful neighbors and then when you get them rattled over a couple of beers then they uh they always remind you that they won the war of 1812 that's right uh, always have that Yes, you'll always have that. So anyway, you're a dairy farm kid like me. You're a little younger. You're only in your mid-30s. That's you right. also have a degree in agricultural economics. Dairy uh, does happen in Alberta. Alberta Milk, in fact, has been one of my clients. Uh, you serve some of these customers, and also you, obviously, your parents still do it. So tell us about yeah. dairy in Alberta. Yeah, so dairy, I mean, I guess obviously the, the big difference between dairy in Canada and dairy in the U.S. is our quota system, um, which, you know, Basically, what it does, it just kind of matches demand with with supply, and then the price of the milk gets based off the cost of production, which they actually do studies every year to see what the cost of production is, and then determine the price of milk from there. So it's allowed it's allowed smaller farms to survive, and we probably don't see the massive dairy farms like we would see. You know, when I when I'm down in Phoenix and drive to Palm Springs, and there's dairies that stretch out for miles and miles. You know, we wouldn't necessarily have that, but Obviously, as as all of agriculture has gone, we are seeing a consolidation, and the size of farms gets bigger. Um, but yeah, I would say you know dairy cattle in general, especially in central Alberta, it seems like everyone used to have a mixed operation, so they would have livestock of some sort. And um, as we've seen crop prices go up over the last ten or fifteen years, and and the genetics take us to places that we hadn't been before, we've seen a lot less livestock. So that would be the probably a big change that we've seen in central Alberta is a lot less livestock and mixed farming and just a lot of continuous cropping now. Um, so as, as I look at my customer base, we see definitely a lot less uh, dairy and just livestock in general. But um, yeah, definitely a different system with the quota system. The thing about the quota. Yeah. Though, so what, it, to the people that are listening to the people that are listening and I've, I've covered this in a past episode, but the way the quota system works is there's, uh, dairy, the, the dairy farmers of Canada uh, got together back in the 1960s, I believe it was, and they mm -hmm. said, we're going to control our supply so that way we don't have wild swings in prices. Um, the government backs it, but it's not necessarily a government program, am I right? That's right. That's right, yeah. So so the government backs it and they kind of, um, you know, do the administrative part of it, but 
but there sure. is no and government the subsidy that necessarily the, goes into it. Yes, and then also poultry is uh, on a quota system as well, meaning the farmers are protected in, the, in terms of you can only produce a certain amount, you can only sell a certain amount of pounds, and then also it guarantees uh, that we're not going to have wild fluctuations in supply. Therefore, the demand stays constant based on population. And now the thing is, somebody like your farm, your, where your parents work, it's a dairy farm that would be similar to what we had like I was grazed on in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not massively big. They, you guys milk like 60 cows, right? Yeah, 40. 40 cows. Yeah. And then because of the quota system, each cow is really worth a certain amount of money because if you produce, you could go out and produce milk. That's what folks don't understand. Like, you mean they tell you you can't produce? Like, no, you could go out and produce milk. You just can't, you can't take it to the processor. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a license. No one's going to come pick it up. So. <laughs> Okay, so these dairy farms are, are around, but even there, you're saying that, uh, like in my part of the world here in Northeast Indiana, every county road had a dairy farm on it when I was a kid. Now mm-hmm. there's great big, huge operations like I rent my land to, you know, they milk 2,000 cows, and then there's uh, about one or two of these smaller folks still still hanging around, but I'm not sure how. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say, I think the average herd size in Alberta, I mean, this is maybe you know, eight or 10 year old, but, you know, it was, was around 120. So, you know, maybe it's around 150, 200 cows now, but, you know, a 500 or a thousand cow dairy herd in Alberta would, would be large. There wouldn't be too many of them. I wouldn't think. Okay. So we know that they got the livestock stuff and then you've got large scale farming. That's the thing up there with uh, 260,000 acres. You got a big, big bunch of the, a bunch of land. Now, again, way to the far North, it's, it's becomes pine trees and rocks and mountains and snow, but where you are, there's a lot of agriculture. I've been there. Uh, talk to me about uh, the production cycle, because you said about the, what'd you call it? Some kind of fungus or something. So we're mm-hmm. doing a crop rotation. What's the crop rotation usually look like? Yeah, like like I said, you know, predominant, especially here in central Alberta, would be canola wheat. Um, just just the two cropping systems. Like I say, some, a lot of people are trying to work in a barley or peas, or there is some faba beans coming in, which is another legume. Um, but yeah, mostly canola wheat. And, uh, you know, so canola, I mean, that's just an easy rotation for us in central Alberta. Canola is a fairly easy crop to grow. It's kind of a weed, you know, you you can broadcast it on top as long as you get a rain afterwards you're going to get a good catch um you spray it you know it's it's roundup resistant or it's it's liberty resistant so it's easy to control weeds short uh maturity you know fits well to our growing season here so it's just kind of easy to grow and wheat you know it's kind of the same thing so it's kind of and they've been worth you know pretty good money so guys have been able to kind of do that and and have success with it over the last and you don't years. need to leave your ground fallow i mean some places yeah. uh when we think of the west there's places that are really really dry and so they used to leave it uh leave, leave the ground fallow for a season just to gain moisture i don't know if that really worked or not but that was the idea you're not doing that up there yeah no we've totally gone away from that and, and no-till has you know basically become uh, everywhere especially you know for continuing cropping and in this area we're, we're dry land farming there's no irrigation and Rainfall, you know, we'll kind of average throughout our growing season is, you know, eight to 10 inches kind of in this area. And as you go southeast of us, it's even less. Um, you know, this year we're considerably over that. We've been we've been quite wet, but generally for the most part, we need to, to conserve as much moisture as we can. And that's our, our yield limiter. So, um, you know, most of it is is 
zero till or minimum till. Um, so, you know, what's the amount of moisture you guys get, you know, through, through the growing season, probably in this area, we're looking, you know, average would be kind of that eight to 10 inches. And, and that, you know, varies obviously quite a bit as you go West from us and you get closer to the mountains, they get more, um, as you go North, they get more. And then as you go South of us, especially East and they get, you know, quite dry. I see. And then obviously you got the snow. So when everything comes off, that's the other thing that's really interesting to me. When I explain about having worked up there, people say, God, that's so far north. I'm surprised they can have such productivity. You guys pack a lot of growing season into uh, June, July, and August because your day length, because you're so far north. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to, you know, sun up at, you know, 6 a.m. and doesn't go down till, you know, 10 o'clock at night in in July. So we're getting... A lot of growing degree days through there and as you go north like you know up into the peace country which you know we're talking five six hours north of edmonton and even further as you get up to the crete area which is just about up to the territories they're growing canola wheat peas some guys are even trying soybeans up there because their days are so long that they get growing degree a lot of growing degree days up there so um, their risk will be frost you know, in June and frost at this time of the year. And I think they did get some frost up there last week that would have affected canola. But um, it's it's a little more feast or famine as you go way up north, but they are still growing crops up there. So, yeah. So when you're talking about the difference, I mean, you can you can put a whole bunch, which is, by the way, there's a bunch of Americans that say, what did he just say? Five hours north of Edmonton? Isn't that yeah. like the Arctic Circle? Uh, <laughs> it's getting pretty far up there. Yeah, it's but, up there, yeah. But then uh, the tough part is there's hardly any people in the whole province to begin with when you're yeah. producing stuff way up there. Who eat, where's it go? Yeah, so I mean we're we're an exporting nation for the most part. So definitely we are with our commodities and our agricultural commodities. So you know a lot of our canola that is grown is going for export. Um, you know China was a big player and as the U.S. is is having some issues there. So is Canada. That's really negatively affected our price over the last. Are, are you guys, are you right now in uh, August of 2019 when we're recording this, are you saying that the trade between Canada and China is also being hurt? Yeah, it's been hurting us, especially in the canola. Okay, um, why, is, why is that? They're not mad at you, they're mad at the U.S. Yeah, they're mad at us as well. We uh, we detained a, a Huawei official uh, as on request of the U.S. And so that's created some tension and just, you know, among other things, um, that's affected it. So we, we've seen the price of canola fall off, you know, probably 15, 20% in the last year. And a lot of that due to that. Um, so, so yeah, but so that because you guys are friendly with the United States of America, China said, screw you, Canada. We don't, we don't like you because you like the United States. Is that what happens? That's right. Bundle us all together. So, <laughs> well, and I know you guys like it when I say things like, do you guys want to become our 51st state? Canadians love it when we say things like that. Oh, yeah, especially Alberta. Alberta would uh, fit in well. Alberta would fit in well. You see, I like working in Alberta because you guys are just redneck enough. I mean, That's in right. Quebec, it's a little tougher. I mean, there they are talking with French and French accents, and they don't like Americans. But, you know, you got to Alberta. That's that's the redneck cowboy types. I mean, that's, that's gun-toting right. uh, uh Tobacco spitting, beer drinking, uh, pickup truck driving people out there. That's why I like Alberta so much. I've worked Oil there a number of times. What else do I need to know? Speaking of uh, what happens out there, land values. Okay, we know that agriculture is down. Okay, it's mm-hmm. not just corn and soybeans that are prices are down. Canola's down a bit because of, of demand. 
what else is, is, is anybody making money right now up there? You know, we, we've probably fared a little bit better than you guys have down in the States just because of, you know, like I said, we're an exporting nation. So the currency exchange, we, we're sitting right now at about a 75 or 76 cent dollar compared to the U.S. And so, because so much of our stuff is based off of, you know, the U.S. markets and what happens there. So uh, because of that difference, it's a lot cheaper to buy from Canada. So you might see wheat come out of here um, or, or canola. Canola a lot of times will be based off of soybean because it's a replacement. The oil would be a replacement. So we have probably haven't been hurting as long um, as they have in, in the States. But now that we're seeing, yeah, canola drop down and wheat values haven't been as high, um, we're starting to see a bit of that. But, you know, a lot of that comes from with that that exchange being at 75 cents based in and seven, eight years ago, we were probably par. Um, a lot of our equipment gets based off, has that exchange built into it. So we've seen the price of farm machinery rise incredibly over the last six, seven years. You're saying machine so prices are high compared to seven years ago. Yeah, much higher. I mean, I think the cost of everything has gone up, but a lot of that's got, you know, a lot of exchange built into that. So it's yeah, 25% just, just right there in the exchange. So it seems to me that uh, right now, because of uh, us being in a bit of a slump, if you wanted to buy a used machinery, I think you'd be in really good shape here in the United States right now. So maybe I need to start smuggling you some stuff up there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the United States of America is throwing what we call sunny money. That's Sonny Purdue, our Secretary yeah. of Agriculture, uh, throwing tax dollars at the American farm sector. And then they've called it trade aid, as I've pointed out. Uh, we would have low prices even if we did have trade because the world has a lot of stuff. There's a lot of supply out there. Exactly. Is the Canadian government throwing money at the ag sector? There's been some subsidies. They um, There's a, a cash advance program that the government runs through. And so what they did is they increased the uh, interest-free limits on that. So it used to be you could get 100000 interest-free. Now a guy can get $500,000 interest-free. Um, that's about all they've done. They, there was some money put into the dairy sector last week, which, which had to do with the TPP, I believe, that was signed right. a couple of years ago. So that was kind of promised then, and now it's kind of come through. So yeah, Trans-Pacific Trans Partnership, Canadians really benefited. The United States uh, opted out of that trade agreement with the Pacific countries. Uh, is helping you guys. Again, you are an exporting country. You have to be because you only got 38 million right. people, 36 million people up there, and especially in Alberta. There's political tension between your province to the left. Uh, your your version of California is British Columbia. British Columbia. Uh, a lot of your all of your stuff, if it's going if it's going to the Pacific, has to go across British Columbia. They don't like Alberta. You guys are a little too jakey rednecks for them. You guys That's like right. that. You guys like that oil. You have a hockey team called the Oilers for crying out loud. Right. Another one called the yeah. Flames. You guys are all about polluting. How are things working on getting your crops transported across British Columbia? I thought I heard that there are some problems with that. Well, there's, there's problems with oil, um, trying to get agreements made to get a pipeline to go through BC. And, you know, there's some kind of um, native lands out there and then some other uh, where they don't want to see pipeline construction and, and trees cleared to create that and whatever else. But, yeah, I mean, all of the grain that comes out of Alberta, well, out of all the prairies, essentially goes west by rail out to, to a port at Vancouver or somewhere along the west coast. And so... That's always, you know, creates some difficulty um, with that. 
it kind of helps us actually here in central Alberta, west central Alberta, in that, uh, you know, our rail companies, I don't think, you know, because there's this pipeline hasn't been made, there's a lot of oil being moved by rail to the west coast. Uh, the rail rates for the oil must be higher than what the grain rates are. And so, but the, the rail companies, which there's two, CP, Canadian Pacific, and Can- Canadian National. Um, right. And of course, like you said, we're quite quite a large country, so it, they have to service quite a big area. But um, they are mandated to get so much grain out of the prairies to port. And so because of that, we're kind of the closest to the port. So so sometimes, they'll, you know, they'll move a lot of grain out of this central Alberta, west central Alberta area to the west coast and, you know, further east of us kind of can get forgot about sometimes. Yeah, but. so the poor people in Saskatchewan and even Manitoba, because that's like a really landlocked area in there, it's in the yeah. central part of the country, you're saying that they get they get the shaft a little bit more, eh? I think at times when, when uh, yeah, when rail cars are short, then they need to move a bunch of grain to, to hit their, their targets and they'll kind of move it out of here, so... Speaking of grain in Canada, you guys have a, an interesting history because wheat was your big thing and before canola really took over in the 80s and 90s. Um, the Canadian Wheat Board, it's how, yes. it's how grain got sold. Tell me about that. Tell our American, our American and our Canadians that don't understand the history of the Wheat Board. Yeah, so I mean, as, as the West more or less was getting settled, I guess, I mean, I think, I think this kind of stems back to wartime stuff where they we're trying to manage stocks and obviously make sure that there was enough feed to feed the armies and, and the people in that time that, that, uh, the wheat board was kind of started. And what it was, was just to kind of combine and pool all the wheat grown throughout Western Canada. So that's Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, to kind of pool that to get, you know, a fair price because the farmers in the day and, and who knows where Alberta didn't think maybe they were getting a fair price when the, the large grain company came in. So, so they would pool all the grain and it would have to be sold to the wheat board and the wheat board would go out and sell this and they might, they would pay the grower in advance on it and then keep all the funds that was created from all the wheat throughout the prairies in an account and then divvy it up amongst the farmers evenly. So it didn't matter when you delivered it, you were getting, everyone was getting the same amount for their wheat. Um, so yeah, like I said, started in 35, just wheat. And then eventually wheat, barley and oats all were mandated to be sold to the wheat board. And then they took oats out and barley out. And then finally in 2012, so not even that long ago, um, the government kind of abolished the wheat board. And, and so since then we've seen a lot of grain companies move in and, and a lot of kind of, uh, infrastructure built that that helps to to store and elevate grain so why why would it uh i mean so right now it's the same thing as here i mean you've got your big cargills or uh bunkies or adms or whatever that are managing all the stuff right that's right yep yep cargill uh cargill louis dreyfus uh uh, jri richardson which is a canadian company and then yeah there's adm bungie got it all right look at the future you're a young guy. What's going to happen? What's going to be different in Alberta and Western Canada agriculture 5, 10, 15 years from now? Okay, I got autonomous machinery coming in. My buddy mm-hmm. Rob Syke is up there with a company called DOT uh, yeah. over in Saskatchewan. You've got large tracts of land. Uh, what what happens? Tell me, what, where, where are things going to be 5, 10 years from now? I think, you know, the, 
the main thing that we're going to see is this consolidation that we're continuing to see. What you know, and that's throughout the whole industry. Obviously, the manufacturers. It's happened a pile in our industry, and it's it's allowed for us to grow and take advantage of some of that. But we've seen a lot of other small independent retails get bought up by the Nutrients and Richardsons and co-ops and different things. So we see consolidation throughout the whole industry, and that's going to continue to happen. Uh, and it's happening at the farm level. And I I see is you know that's really especially going to start happening now as we've seen these depressed prices happen. And, and I think that's maybe a trend over the next couple of years. So we're going to see a lot of these older, smaller farms kind of say enough's enough and get out of it. And so we'll see farm sizes grow and the number of farms decrease. Um, so that's been going on for a couple hundred years. Uh, yeah. At some point, at some point, <laughs> at, at some point, where does it end? I don't, I don't know if that's really. Yeah. What about specialty stuff, niche stuff? You know, I would t- preach to my ag audiences, and obviously, you were one of my ag audiences. There yeah. is actually more than there has ever been a place for odd specialty stuff, stuff that's sure. not commodity production. Are you seeing that there? Usually, it needs to be close to produ- uh, to population, but you guys have two large cities with Calgary and Edmonton. Yep. That's right. Yeah, and you're starting to see that. I mean, with things like social media, um, and, you know, like I said, the world is just becoming a smaller place. So using social media, Instagram and Twitter is a way to market, you know, some of these niche products. I, I think there definitely is. We we see people in our areas trying to, you know, grow things like hemp and sell that. Um, you've seen like s- small farms and doing kind of that farm to farm to fork mentality. I think that'll continue to grow. There's definitely demand. Uh, yeah, I, I just had a, I got a hemp guy, in fact, that was on, uh, in fact, uh, I'm not sure whether his podcast is going to go before yours or after a uh, smart guy. He's between Florida and California and Colorado. Uh, yeah. Are you seeing hemp in Canada? We're seeing it. I, I think hemp was just legalized to be grown in the U.S. this spring, wasn't it? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. So and that's so why we're just we're just really ramping up here. I think we're at an infancy uh, when it's going to really take off. Is my my take on it? Uh, does it do anything for you? Does do yeah. You- so it it's, hasn't. I mean, we've been able to grow it up here for a while. There's people that keep trying to grow it. You know, the fiber, the using the straws, building blocks. Obviously, the hemp hearts, the CBD oil, all that stuff. Um, I think. Uh, there's there's a lot of people that are hopeful about it. I know a good friend of mine went pretty big into it last year and is still sitting on the product and and maybe kind of wishes he didn't do it now. But. <laughs> so so the marketplace is uh, it's legal, but we're not exactly efficient yet on getting rid of the stuff because I've heard that also that yeah. uh, while the industry is probably ready, there's also we don't have all the kinks worked out because I heard that somebody uh, got stuck with some supply also. Are you selling yeah. anything? Like, do they need stuff from you? Yeah, I mean they. They fertilize it fairly heavily, kind of like canola. So um, they're doing that. They're, there's nothing that can be sprayed on it for weed control, but just trying to do weed control beforehand. So using things like edge ethylflurylin, uh in front of it, and, and just making sure it's clean when it goes in. But but I think it's a it's a pretty uh, uses quite a bit of nutrients. So. Got it. So, uh, anything else? Because I, I got to tell you, I, I think it's good and educational stuff. Uh, Alberta. Agriculture 101. What would be your closing statement, Mr. Cowan? In case you forgot, dear listener, he's with the Crop Management Network. He's the director of sales. He's an ag guy, dairy farm kid. What's, what's your closing thought since this is Agriculture 101? How are you going to wrap up the lecture? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess just saying, yeah, like 
there's, uh, you know, lots of agriculture that happens up here in Alberta and Western Canada. And it's, uh, you know, there's similarities and, and things that are different from, from what happens down in the States. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, agriculture is alive and well and a big, big part of our economy up here, major contributor to, to our economy. And, um, yeah, I think we face similar challenges. Like I said, the, it's kind of a global world now. So when you talk about the consumer backlash on things like GMOs, when you talk about trade uh, wars with, with certain countries and, you know, it's kind of felt all around the world. And we, we kind of are hinging on the U S so much. I mean, our wheat gets priced off of what happens with wheat at Minneapolis and Kansas and corn and our canola gets priced off of soybeans and the exchange rate gets tied into it. So, um, you know, we're looking at what happens, I'm listening and reading reports from what's happening down in the U.S. all the time. So there's a, you know, there's some things that are different, but there's a lot of similarities in, in what happens here and, and down there. Thank you for the education. Dear listeners, you've been listening to Steve Cowan. He's my, my former client and uh, he's my bud up there. And if you ever find yourself in Edburg or Camrose, Alberta, uh, stop in and see him there at the Crop Management Network. He's, he'll probably even take you out for a beer, but he won't drink Molson Canadian. I'm not sure I understand that. If I lived in Canada, I would probably stop and have a Molson Canadian, but somehow they're just prejudiced against it up there. They don't realize yeah. what they got. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being on the show, buddy. Thank you. Not a problem. Anytime. Hey, thanks a lot. Till next time. That's Alberta Agriculture 101 uh, you're listening to, and please return and do it again, uh, the business of agriculture.